You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Captain, Hmm? I want to tell you something. I think you're... Like when I was a little girl. You think I'm like when you were a little girl? Forget it. The moment's past. Is this about your toast? How'd you get that? Gina gave it to me. Very well written. There are several compelling anecdotes. The fonts suit the tone. Good work. I do feel, however, the word choice could have been improved in spots. I mark them awk for awkward. anyone's ever said to me. I marked them awk for awkward. It's advice. He's mentoring me. Yes! <laughs> yeah, so we're gonna talk about mentoring this week and next week because folks, mentors change the future. They shape the future in many ways. I'm David Freeman. I'm your community impact director here at Schweitzer. I hope you enjoy the journey of all these great stories of mentors this morning. So, a lady dies and goes to heaven. And she's at the pearly gates with St. Peter, just kind of having a conversation, looking around. And St. Peter looks over and points to another lady and says, Hey, there is the smartest scientist the world has ever seen. She had the cure for cancer. And the lady talking to St. Peter looks over at the second lady and says, Her? Switch microphones. All right. Is this one? Testing. So I'm going to take a moment. We're going to practice Philippians 4, 4 through 8, because I'm a little anxious about the microphones. And Philippians 4, 4 through 8 says, be anxious about nothing. You ready? We're going to pray. Lord, we're all sick and tired of the microphone problems here. And... We just need your wisdom. There's something funky about this space, Lord. And please give your unimaginable solutions to our tech team who who really want to get this solved. Amen. Thank you. Back to the sermon. So, we were all in suspense, wondering what that lady is going to say about the second lady who St. Peter pointed to. Here's what she said. That lady... I know her. She's not a scientist. She's my beautician. And St. Peter says, yeah, nobody ever unlocked her potential. You think that's a far-fetched story? I am a mentee at Schweitzer. Last year, I got a mentor. Up until that point, I had struggled for seven years to finish writing a book. Stupid book. I got a mentor last year. My mentor said to me, there's really no need for us to talk about anything until you finish that book. So he gave me advice. He gave me his Kindle template for how to write a book for Amazon Kindle Publishing, and he's been one of my readers since then. And I finished that book in one year and two months. All right? Now, I'm not saying I'm going to change the world with that book. What I am saying is, without a mentor, I would probably still be languishing in good intentions. And I'm pretty confident I'm not the only one. 
So that's why we're going to talk about mentors, because mentors shape the future. All right, three cool mentors from Scripture. Joseph, the Levite of Cyprian birth. Imagine with me, if you will, that we've just had this great worship service, and all of a sudden, tomorrow, the Nazi empire settles down here, and Heinrich starts coming around, destroying Christians. And over the next three years, Heinrich kills 10,000 of us in the city of Springfield. Somebody in here is a great encourager. Hey, uh, uh, Joseph, the Levite of Cyprian birth, we, we think so highly of you that we nicknamed you the encourager. And you, you had to go through three years of seeing your friends and family from your church slaughtered and dragged into prison. And Heinrich left Springfield and went to St. Louis. He's gone. We can take a breath of fresh air because finally, kind of that, that uh, turmoil that's happening to us and, and all the hiding that we've been doing, we can, we can breathe easy for a while. And Heinrich goes away. And Three months, a year later, Heinrich shows back up on scene and says, Hey, take me to the church leaders. I've met Jesus. What are you going to do with Heinrich? What are we going to do with Heinrich? Not on your life. We don't trust Heinrich. It's a ploy to try to find our leadership. There's no way we're going to take Heinrich to our church leaders who we have struggled to hide and protect for the past three years of us being hunted and destroyed. But you, your nickname is the encourager, and God tells you to go risk it with Heinrich. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us exactly what interactions Barnabas had with Saul when Saul came back to Jerusalem. It just tells us that Barnabas went and took Saul to the church leaders. That was pretty risky. And, you know, and the church leaders finally acknowledge Saul's uh, authenticity, the authenticity of his experience on the road to Damascus. And they, they took him, and he started going great gangbusters in the synagogues and causing such an uproar that all the, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem wanted to kill Paul and get rid of him. So the church leaders took him and sent him away to Tarsus to protect him. Now, I'm going to tell this story from the perspective of Barnabas, right? So you go along, and and, uh, the church is thriving, and you're still known as the son of encouragement. That's what Barnabas means, and and you're there for six, seven years, and all of a sudden, we hear about a church that started over in Joplin. Let's just call it uh, Antioch, and we decide to send you, because you're a great encourager, and you're a great mentor over to Antioch to disciple the people over there and help that church go. And you get over there and you're working for a year or so and it gets overwhelming. I mean, there's just too much for you to do, too much administrivia as well as ministry to the people, you know, because you're encouraging everybody. And you sit down and you think, I need help. Who am I going to go get? Do I go back to Jerusalem, back to Springfield, and pick the people who have kind of, I've been working with for two or three years, wait a minute, I remember Saul. I wonder what happened to him. Seven years ago, we sent him home to keep him safe. I'm going to go look him up. 
So you go and you find this dude who is doing pretty well in the tent building industry. What's he doing building tents? I mean, he was this fire plug, you know, seven years ago, setting the synagogues on in up, upheaval and turmoil. What, what happened? It looks like he's kind of settled down to be a tent maker. Oh, I, I kind of get it. If I had been one of the top graduates at Yale University on my way up in Washington, D.C., and all of a sudden I became a whacked-out Christian and I went home, my family would kind of wonder what was happening to me and kind of just try to get me a job. But, but you're an encourager and you see more in Paul. So you convince him to risk giving up his job as a tent maker and come back to Antioch with you to really thrive in his giftings. And he does. You two work together for two years, for a year in Antioch, and all of a sudden, you're called to go on this great, wild mission trip together, and the church sends you out, and you go, and you work alongside Paul, and you have this great friendship because, you know, you've mentored him, and now you're growing, and you're kind of both growing along together. And pretty soon in your relationship, you have a disagreement. Because on that first missionary trip, there was this guy named John Mark who went with you, and things got really tough, and you were all kind of being tortured in a local city, and John Mark bailed and ran away. And Paul doesn't want to have anything to do with that ever again. But you look at Paul and say, hmm, you know, I remember another young man who seemed to be a fireball and uncontrollable, Paul, and I risked it with you. Why aren't you willing to risk it with John Mark? And they kind of split ways. But Barnabas was such a mentor. He always saw something. He just was on the lookout for potential in people. And he took Mark on the next trip. So Silas and Paul went one way. Barnabas and Mark went the other. And apparently, Barnabas was so good at what he did. Let's look at Philippians. Oh, 2 Timothy 4.11. Paul requests, hey, send Timothy, will you send Mark to me? Because he's so useful. In ministry. Again, in Philemon, Mark, Paul calls Mark, man, I can't wait to, to hang out with my fellow worker. And who do you think wrote the book of Mark? Mark. If it hadn't been for Barnabas, that may be the book of Bubba. You know, I don't know. God kind of gets things done sometimes, even though we don't do our part. But, but I am pretty confident we would not know about Paul or Mark if it hadn't been for Barnabas. We need Barnabases in this church. We need a lot of them. Well, let's switch. Mary, the mother of Jesus. I actually went and got some expert advice on this story. I went and sat down with my teenage daughters. All right? Because uh, this story is in Luke. Luke chapter 1, and uh, starts out in verse 26. We, we hear Mary's story from, from the perspective of Elizabeth's pregnancy right from the start. I mean, Scripture just ties Elizabeth and Mary together because it says, Now in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel came to Mary. 
You're very familiar with that story. If you've ever come on Christmas Eve, you know that story. You know, the angel appears and says, you're going to be the mother of God. Uh, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. You're going to be pregnant, even though you've never had relations with a man. And is that okay? And Mary says, yeah, do to me whatever you will, Lord. And the angel leaves. Now, this is all speculation on my part, folks. But it seems like when God asks you to do something really, really hard, there's a few moments of terrify in there. Because the angel leaves and Mary goes, I'm going to be pregnant. In a small village where they stone people for getting pregnant outside of marriage. Hmm, now what? And, and here's this, verse 39. Now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. So here's how I'm imagining Mary was thinking. Now what? Wait, wait. The angel told me that Elizabeth is also pregnant, and it's miraculous. The whole world knows it's miraculous because she was too old. I'll just go to mom and dad and tell them, hey, Elizabeth's six months pregnant. You know, she's really old. Maybe she could use some help. Do you mind if I go help her? I'm just imagining that's how Mary got there, right? Got permission to go. And her parents said, that's a great idea. Go. So I asked my daughters, what are you thinking on the way while you're walking over there? Oh, I'm thinking about everything. Yeah, how am I going to do the gossip? How am I going to even tell Elizabeth what has happened? What do I do if she, if she doesn't believe me? What do I do if she turns me in? Okay, I've just got to trust God. I'm going to go and see what happens. And here's what Scripture says. Can you imagine? Mary walks in the door. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she turned around and cried out with a loud voice. Now, imagine this from Mary's perspective. You walk in the door. You haven't said anything. All these thoughts are going through your head about what you're supposed to do. And Elizabeth turns around, and all you see is kind of, she, she jumps a little bit, and she says, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the Lord of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed are you who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what has been spoken to her by the Lord. You know what my daughter said they would do if they were in Mary's position at that place? I said, oh, I'd break down crying with relief. Somebody believes me. Somebody is in my corner. And I didn't have to explain anything. And in that moment, we get the Magnificat. I mean, the relief that Mary feels is this great eight, nine verses here. And Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. And she goes on. Maybe she was crying and bubbling with this great worship and relief as she met a mentor who would help her do the hard things. And we know that they stayed together for three months. I imagine they worked together because Elizabeth probably did need some help from Mary. They probably strategized. Okay, Mary, we both know living in the small village with gossip is going to be really hard. And you're going to have to live with it for the rest of your life. Here's how you can handle that. Here's how you interact with Joseph, maybe. Really? Neither of us knows. Let's pray, Mary. Let's pray together. Three months. Three months of mentoring. 
for a tough time that was coming. And she did it great, right? They both did well. And after three months, Elizabeth had her baby. Mary went home, probably showing at about that time. So she's going home to interact with Joseph. Oh, but she's more courageous because the Lord went before her before he'll go before her again. Some of that speculation on my part, folks, but uh, man, I can't wait to get to heaven and hear some of the rest of the stories of what, what these courageous people were thinking before it was all done and the courage was no longer called for. Yeah. All right. You know, Okay, I'm not going to say we wouldn't, hear, we wouldn't know about Mary if it wasn't for Elizabeth. I somehow think we would. I will say, Scripture seems to indicate that they needed each other. Mary needed Elizabeth during that hard time. All right, the next great mentor moment we're going to talk about. Frankly, I put this in because Colin Langston challenged the pastors to use a VeggieTale clip during a sermon. And this, this is the moment, all right? This is one of the great mentor moments in Scripture. You might be familiar with the phrase, for such a time as this. And yes, this clip kind of waters down the situation, to put it at a children's level. But if you're interested in reading the story, the book of Esther is fascinating, it's just a few chapters, 30, 45 minutes. You can read it all. If you have little girls, read it to them. This is one of my favorite books to read to my girls. And here we go. One of the most potent mentor moments in Scripture. Izzy! Izzy! Cousin Mordecai? What is it? Oh, he's done it. He's finally done it. Who? Done what? Look! What's this? It's an edict. In just a few days, all of us, a whole family, will be sent to the island of perpetual tickling! What? Who? Who did this? Oh, who do you think? Haman! I told you he hates us! Hates our whole family! And, and now he's done it! He got the king to sign this! And, and we'll all be banished! Oh, what are you gonna do? That's just it! I can't do anything! I'm just a god! But you, you're the queen! What do you mean? You must go to him! You must go to the king! What? Don't you know what happens to people who appear before the king uninvited? Esther! Remember the Peony brothers? Esther! There is no other way! You are the only one who can stop this! No! No, I'm not gonna! I, I didn't even want to be the queen! No! You're smart, Mordecai! Think of another way! Esther! There is no other way. I, I wasn't even brave enough to go to my friend about the apple, and, and now you want me to go to the king? Even if he doesn't banish me for showing up, why would he listen to me? I mean, Haman is his right-hand man. I can't tell you what to do, but I can tell you this. You wanted to know why you were here, why you became queen. I told you God must have a reason. 
Hester, perhaps he put you here for such a time as this. Perhaps this is the reason. Hester, you never have to be afraid to do what's right. I'll pray for you. We'll all pray for you. I don't think we'd know about Esther if it hadn't been for Mordecai. Oh, as much as we need Esther's and Mary's and Paul's and Mark's, oh, we need the Mordecai's, the Elizabeth's, and the Barnabas's. Something interesting in all those stories, the mentors grew too. Well, here's the point. I hope the point is evident for all these stories this morning. The point is we have a lot of potential giants of the faith in this congregation. I'm convinced of it. And need, they need somebody who will call out that identity that Christ has put in them. who will mentor them, be in their corner. <laughs> yeah, how do you shape the future? So, you know, vastly different locations, backgrounds, people, and yet they have some common things that the mentors do. The main thing they do, they inspire to do what is right and to do what takes courage, not necessarily what's easy. One of our current mentors, as we were talking about how do we, how do we bolster our whole mentor pool around here, she said, well, one of the most important things that mentors do is reassure the mentees that they are capable and give them hope that they will succeed. I won't show, ask for a show of hands, but how many of you, when you are trying to do something really hard, late at night, hope seems something that is challenging to find? Man, we need each other to give each other hope. Barnabas, Elizabeth, Mordecai, what we're asking you to do. First, be deeply in love with Jesus, the God of the universe, following him. Frankly, I asked a mentor recently, hey, do you find that you read your Bible more consistently on a daily basis and pray more and kind of seek the Lord more since you're meeting with a mentee and asking them if they're doing that? He said, oh, yeah. One of the biggest forms of accountability in my life is I'd better be practicing what I'm mentoring. Yeah. Be encouraging. Pointing out what somebody's doing well. Affirming the path that they're on. 
helping them become who God designed them to be, not necessarily a little mini-me of you, right? And and boy, one of the hardest things about being a mentor is to be loving and kind and listening and unwavering, unapologetic about, yep, now get back in there. You can do it. Yes, it's hard, and you can do it. I'm rooting for you, and I'll be here again when you need to come limping back in to talk about how things are going. So, how do you become a mentor at Schweitzer? Well, first, there's this option that we're calling organic, which means you don't need anything official from Schweitzer. Just if the Lord puts on your heart, hey, maybe I should go talk to that person and see if, if she needs a mentor. Do it. Go do it. You don't need staff support. You don't need to fill out anything. Go do it. Or, man, I wonder if I should go ask that person if he will mentor me. Great. Do it. You don't need anything from us. Just have at it. At work. And Man, really? My personal opinion is mentoring is just another word for discipleship. We're supposed to be growing one another constantly. Okay, but we have some good avenues for you. Here are some official ways that you can become a mentor at Schweitzer, all right? Upgrade your mentoring, too, is going to be August 22nd from 6.30 to 8 p.m. downstairs in Memorial Hall. And that is a week from this Wednesday. We're really trying to build a culture of keeping our mentors trained and up-to-date in, in all ways of relationship and mentoring, right? And that is a big step in that direction. And you can sign up for that. At, let's see if I can do this address from memory. sumc.co upgrade dash your dash mentoring dash number two. Okay, you can register right there. Also, you have a connection card. The connection card kind of matches up with your bulletin. And it says that if you want to learn more about mentorship or you need a mentor, you can check box number one and put that in the offering when it comes. If you need a mentor, check box number one and write, need a mentor. All right? If you want uh, me to register you, you should think, you know what? I'll register myself so David doesn't have to register 100 people for the upgrade you're mentoring, right? And, uh, And just... Don't check box number one. Just go and register on the website. Is that all right for me to say? Hey, I said it. All right. Whatever avenue you choose, please consider taking the risk. Yes, the risk of your time investment. Yes, the risk of some challenge interacting with the other, but also the risk of the mirror reflecting right back on you for your growth, too, and and become a mentor a tool in God's hands for shaping the future of the world. As the ushers come forward to take up the offering, I will ask, you'd kind of hold this in your hand. Put your connection card in your hand and consider, because we're all stewards of everything we have, which means we are not the owners, Christ is. And how are you being a steward of everything you have? Yes, We do offering because that helps us be stewards with our money. But we're asking you to steward your time and other resources also.